Praise the Lord. Amen. Do you need a microphone? All right. I'm going to have Ty. Before Tyrone gets ready, um, before this is uh, Tyrone. Tyrone is one of the men that God has brought into the ministry uh, that we have. And I'm very grateful for uh, the privilege to be able to. Um, uh, I, one of the things that, uh, you know, we have, uh, we pastor a church, but one thing we do is we run recovery for men. And uh, we're believing God for uh, a home for women as well in the near future so that we can continue to see uh, men and women be transformed uh, by the power of God. And, uh, you know, Tyrone is one of the men that's come through the recovery. And so uh, I'm, I have Tyrone uh, going to be ministering a song that he wrote, I believe. Is that one of them? Yeah, is that it? All right. Amen. But uh, before, yeah, I'll put that one on there. Before Tyrone, I call up Tyrone. I'm going to have Brother Paul come up here. Can I have Paul come up here? <laughs> And I'll uh, have Paul share a quick word of testimony. This is Paul, and uh, Paul is one of the other men that's, that's uh, in our recovery home at the moment. And the reason why I love bringing testimonies because uh, a lot of times, uh, sometimes we forget uh, that God is not just, we always remember what God has done, but sometimes we don't always get to see what God is doing. Amen? Sometimes we all remember what God has done, but God wants you to remember he's still doing and he's still doing something right now as we speak in the lives of people. And I, have, I am privileged to do the ministry that we do. And I just thought I'd call up a few guys to come and share a quick word of testimony before I get into the word of God. So, Paul, I'm going to hand it over to Paul. Hello. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Paul. Um, so just about, about my testimony. This time last year, I was actually in prison. So I was in prison at Park Lee and Long Bay. And I was in prison for... I guess the supply of heroin, you know, ice, marijuana, and I was using drugs for a while. I was already using drugs for a couple of years, let's say, but then probably about from 19 or so, I was always using drugs, but I thought I was a functioning addict. And, you know, we say that because we're functioning, we're working, but we're still using drugs, you know, but then slowly things take a turn for a worse. And I was with my partner or my ex now for about 15 years, and then she left. And when she left, it left a big hole in my heart. And I was already using drugs when I was with her at the time. And when she left, I started filling that hole with more drugs, you know. And then, man, I lost my job and that, and things just turned even worse. And I was using and living what we call the lifestyle for about a good two years, going to three years. And then when I got locked up, um, I couldn't get bailed anywhere. You know, my family really didn't have room for me. They didn't want to take me. I couldn't stay with my friends because, you know, they were all drug addicts as well. And, you know, the courts just wouldn't approve it. So then after a while, you know, I prayed, you know, when I was locked up, I said, God, get me out of here, you know. But little did I know, he took me to Victory Outreach, you know, and it was a bit harder, you know. Like um, I said it before my testimony, man, like Victory the Home is a bit, you know, it's, there's more rules than prison. You know, we're watching TV every day there. You know, in here, you know, no, we only get TVs on the weekend. We got to cook our own meals. You know, we got to cook for other boys. We got to watch. And I'm thinking, man, I get my own meals brought to me in the cell. You know, like, man, what is this? You know, but I knew like God picked me. Or I guess I needed to change, and I really I didn't know how to. You know, and one year later, ten months now, I'm still in the home. You know, um, so I guess when I finish the home, I'm looking back to going back to study. Probably finish my master's degree go into real estate, something over my own business, but something legitimate, of course, and like, you know, just something better, you know, I think something bigger and better, you know, sometimes I think we think, you know, that wasn't my life, you know, I was, I always thought I was destined for bigger, better things, 
you know, I think, you know, and I think God has worked through Victory Outreach, you know, to help me achieve that because really I couldn't do it on my own. You know, so I guess that's my little testimony, guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Good evening, church. Um, so my name's Emmanuel, and I'm also uh, one of the men in the home. Um, I was, I've only been in the home for two months, um, but before, prior to the home, I was um, addicted to drugs as well. Um, I was the person that grew up knowing who God was, and like my grandma solidified that foundation for me. Um, but when she left, that's when it took a turn from, like, you know, my life took a turn, and I turned to all other things but God to find fulfillment. And, um, yeah, I guess, like, two months, I- I've been coming to the church for about over a year now, and um, I felt God was pressing onto my heart, like He wants to use me, and He wants to fulfill the purpose that He has planned for me. So, um, yeah, I just want to thank God for Victory Outreach for the home, um, for what it's done in my life. It's 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 still a process, but I feel God is healing me, and He's um, restoring everything that um, yeah He had always planned for me. So I just want to thank God and thank God for His salvation, and um, yeah, Amen. Praise the Lord. Check. Yeah, I'm not going to share a testimony. I'm just going to get straight into the song, if that's cool. Um, can we, um, this doesn't angle, does it? It's a bit short. <laughs> no, that's cool. It's all right. I'll figure it out. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just quickly minister this song. Um, I wrote this while I was in the home. For those who don't know, you know, I'm a graduate of the home. I've been um, out of the home for about nine months. Come on, somebody. You know, <laughs> come on. I'm still here, still serving the Lord, man. And um, yeah, the home's just helped me out so much, man. But I give all glory to God, man. So this is a beautiful song, hopefully, you know, that I wrote in the home. And it goes a little something like. Yeah, it's a happy one. This is how my story goes before I was saved. Follow trends of interest in the worldly of ways. Please, Lord, forgive me for the way I behave. Now that I'm your servant, your disciple, let's pray. Let's pray for restoration. Lord, give me the patience. Yeah. My family, they've been waiting. Your word is never mistaken. Cause all we do was praise in your name Jesus cover me your precious blood Come on Hey, I said Jesus cover me your precious blood Fulfill me, filling your love Cause I've been filling myself with the drugs in the world with the merchant that spread it so hateful But I'ma get right with a God that don't lie I'm a pastor that I can be grateful But we just continue to persecute those that are rescued so living in sin though But I am still worthy of work for the Lord not a baby that's because I've been grown But I'ma be living my life, I'ma live life for my Christ Living holy matrimony if only a lie, never speak death in a lie but when the devil only tries to bring us down Say the name of Jesus, claim it as we're proud Cause this is why my story goes before I was saved I follow chance of interest in the worldly of ways Please, Lord, forgive me for the way I behave Now that I'm your servant, your disciple, let's pray Let's pray for restoration 
Lord, give me the patience, yeah. My family, they've been waiting. Your word is never mistaken. Cause all we do was praise in your name. Jesus, cover me with your precious blood. Fulfill this whole affair in your love. Ooh, oh. Jesus, cover me with your precious blood. Fulfill this whole affair in your love. Come on, Jesus, cover me. So Jesus, cover me with your precious blood. Fulfill this whole affair in your love. Come on. I said, Jesus, cover me with your precious blood. Fulfill this whole affair in your love.
Come on, right there where you are, just lift up your hands and talk to God right there where you are. As he ministers on the guitar, why don't we just worship in the spirit all over this place? Come on, worship in the spirit. Begin to glorify the name of the Lord. Begin to connect with heaven. Begin to worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We glory, glory, glory to your name, oh God. Glory to the Lamb of God. Prepare our hearts, oh God. Prepare our minds, oh God, to receive from you this morning, this evening, oh God. Father, I pray, my God, that you would minister to every heart, my God. Prepare every life, oh God. Oh, Father, we're careful to give you the honor and the glory, oh God. We thank you, Lord. Oh, we love you, God. Glory to your name, oh God. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Can we pick up our Bibles to the book of Zechariah and remain standing with me just as I read my opening scripture and I pray. Zechariah chapter 4 beginning in verse 6. Zechariah 4, 6. A very familiar passage of scripture. You may not Memorize it, but when you hear it, you'll remember it. Thank you, guys. Zechariah chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. And uh, it's a scripture I've always heard. We even sing songs about this verse. Um, it gets quoted all the time. And for some reason, some time ago, the Lord made me... Um, meditate on this verse of scripture and as I begin to meditate on it and research and study man there was so much depth of what was taking place there that it really um, really blessed my heart to really understand and the Lord really ministered to me on this verse and I want to I want to give you what God gave to me amen Zechariah chapter 4 beginning in verse 6 the word of God says this so he answered and said to me this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel Say Zerubbabel. Oh, say it 20 times. No. <laughs> it says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Then it goes on to say, who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall also finish it. Then you will know 
that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Father, we thank you. We love you. We pray you bless your word. May it minister to every heart. May it speak to every life. And I pray that everyone will be open to receive. And I pray that you enable me to communicate your word with clarity, simplicity, and power. Lord, I pray that every man and every woman in this place would receive from you and you alone. We thank you. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone says, give somebody a high five and tell them it's by his spirit. It's by his spirit. Now, I don't know. I enjoy participation this morning. Amen. This evening, morning. I'm used to morning services. Amen. Tonight, I want to, uh, I really want to give you, as you, as um, I minister this evening, what the Lord has put on my heart for you in this church, I just really want to challenge and encourage you today about the purpose and the call of God upon this church and upon this ministry, and upon you as an individual before the Lord. Now, I, I want to give you a little bit of context of what was taking place in the passage of Scripture. I've heard this verse many times, and uh, even in the recovery home, we sing a song that pertains to this verse, and, uh, and we sing it in the morning for our morning chapel. When I was in the rehab, we used to sing it all the time. And I don't know if you know it, but it goes, not by my, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by my, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And every mountain shall be removed. Every mountain shall be removed. Every mountain shall be removed. By what? By my spirit, says the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I don't sing as good as the worship team, but I do my best to worship God. Amen? But one of the things that I've come to know is I used to sing that song every morning in the chapel. In, my, in the recovery home, we have chapel every morning. And every morning we would sing songs like that, and we would sing that song not by might nor by power. And I would sing it, and I really enjoyed the dynamics of the song. But I never really understood the context of what was taking place and, and why that, that passage of Scripture was used. And I want to give to you what the Lord gave to me as I begin to read. Now, this passage of Scripture is found in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet of God that was sent to go and give a word to Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was a, to give you a bit of context, 538 B.C., before Christ's arrival, 538 years before the arrival of Christ, Christ, uh, 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 the Zerubbabel was a, was a part of a team of, of, uh, of slaves in Babylon. At this time, that they were in Babylonian captivity. They were in captivity in the land of Babylon, and because, of they, because they had sinned against God, they ignored the Sabbath, and they ignored the year of Jubilee. They were found, and they were taken out so that they could learn their lesson. How many of us know sometimes we have to learn the hard way? Is that right? Wave at me if you ever had to learn the hard way. Amen? I don't, know, I don't like learning the hard way, but sometimes that's the way it has to happen. And so uh, these, at this time, the people of Israel had to learn the hard way. They were sent into Babylonian captivity, 
and they were sent there for a period of years so that they could learn the lesson of what needed to be ha- happen. At this time, the, pap- uh, the, the God heard the cries of the people. He felt that, they, okay, their time is done there. They learned their lesson, and he sent, and, and he, he sent them out of Babylon back to the land of Jerusalem, back to the area and where they were going to go. At this time, they weren't just freed from slavery just to be freed, though. How many of us know when God sets you free, he, sometimes, he gives you a mandate, a responsibility? He, gives you, he, he sets you free, and he says, okay, now I have a purpose for your life. How many of you are grateful for the purposes of God for our lives? He doesn't just forgive you, but then he forgives you, and he says, now I have something for you to do to give me glory and to give me honor. Not so that you could earn anything because we can't earn our salvation, but he does give you something to give us a sense of purpose and also so that we could do something to honor and glorify the name of the Lord. At this time, he sent them free, and he said, okay, you're going to be free. I want you to take a group of people out of Babylonian captivity with you, and you are given the responsibility to rebuild my temple. You got to build the house of God. Let me say God's house. Tell your neighbor, God's house. You and I have been set free from our sin and our old life, and he says, I've given you a responsibility to build my house. I want you to build my house. Now, if you understand the storyline, Nehemiah took a team of people and he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And Ezra was, had a responsibility, responsibility to restore the spiritual life of the people of Israel. But Zerubbabel was given this responsibility to restore the house of God in Israel. The temple. And so Zerubbabel goes, and he was given his mandate. And at this, at this time, Zerubbabel takes 42,360 Jews out of Babylon into the land of Israel. He goes out of captivity back to the land in which they were given. And he goes there, and he was excited. They were grateful to be out of slavery. And he goes there, and he begins the work of rebuilding the temple. Now, he works two years hard and nonstop. And as he begins to do his work and as he begins to lay the foundation of the temple, he, it takes him two years to lay that foundation. At the end of two years, if you want to read it, you could read the book of Ezra because Ezra writes all about this storyline. I'm not going to read all of it because then you guys are going to fall asleep on me. So if you want to read the book of Ezra, you can read it. And so Zerubbabel goes and he works hard for two years. He lays the foundation and then they have a celebration because the foundation was laid. That was the, like phase one accomplished. And so they finished phase one. They have a big celebration. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to get back to work and continue the building of the temple. But what happened was is that Zerubbabel, after the celebration, after the great, a great occasion, after a great barbecue, as you know, we all like to eat after on those great celebrations, they had, a, they had a great meal and they celebrated, but then they got distracted. Let me say distracted. They got distracted. He didn't get distracted for one year. Two years, four years, five years, eight years, 10 years, 12 years, 15 even. For 17 years, all there was was a slab of concrete where the foundation of the temple was. 17 years he got distracted. And I can imagine Zerubbabel didn't die and it just stopped. Zerubbabel was there in the city. 
He was so distracted that even though he was there, I, I can imagine it myself, it's not in the Bible, but I would imagine myself if I was given a responsibility and I, wasn't, and I didn't finish my responsibility, I, I'm sure he would try to avoid going anywhere near the temple because it would bring conviction to his life. Can you imagine living in a city, laying a foundation, and having to walk past that place every so often and it'd be a reminder that I didn't finish my job? And so for 17 years, God is patient. How many thank God that he's patient and merciful, amen? He's patient and merciful with you and I. And he says, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you catch the drift. I'm going to let you wake up. Come on, I'm going to let you wake up. Get back to the responsibility that you have. But it, one year passed, five years passed, 10 years passed, 15 years passed, 17 years passed, and he still wouldn't wake up. He was stuck. He was stuck in a situation that for some reason or another, he wouldn't get up and get back to work. Amen? He was, he was distracted. He was distracted in such a way that for some reason or another, God had to send different messengers to wake him up. Thank God for the prophets and the man of, and the man of God that God sends our way to wake us up. So he's finally, he sent Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel had to go and he had to wake him up. This passage of scripture that I read to you today is Zerubbabel going and he's saying, this, the Lord is telling Zerubbabel, I want you, he's telling Zechariah, Zechariah, go over there and go wake up Pastor John or go wake up my sister over there, go wake up my son or my daughter over there because they've been distracted for too long. Amen? How many have ever been there before? I don't know about you but I don't want to stay there. And maybe you're here tonight and you've been distracted. Maybe your distraction is not sin. It's not sin. It's not that you're going back to your old life or doing things you shouldn't be doing, but you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. It's not necessarily sin in the sense of bad behavior. It's that I'm not in alignment with the perfect and divine will of God, my Father in heaven. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Like some of, some of us are supposed to be teaching or preaching, or maybe some of you have the call of pastoring and leading, and for some reason or another you held back the call of God upon your life, and I'm challenging you today that God wants you to wake up and get back to the place that God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be distracted any longer. He wants you to wake up. Tell your neighbor, wake up. Amen? Tell your neighbor, he's talking about you. God wants you to wake up. He wants you to, he, he wants you to get up. He wants you to get up. He wants you to uh, open up your mind and your heart again and let the Lord do what he's called you to do through your life. And what he did is he had to send, so what he happens is Zerubbabel was there ignoring the temple probably trying to avoid looking at the slab of bricks and stones or concrete or whatever they had to lay the foundation. And Zerubbabel had, uh, Zechariah had to go and tell Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, this is what he tells him in this passage of Scripture. And I'm going to break it down a little bit about what were the distractions that he had and why he told him this. He said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. 
And he tells them this, and that's why I, I use this passage of Scripture. It says here in verse 9, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands shall also finish it. He tells them, the hands of Zerubbabel laid this foundation, and his hands are going to finish it. How many thank God that he doesn't give up on us, even though we get distracted? Amen? I said, how many are grateful that God doesn't just throw us away when we make mistakes in our life? I thank God that he's a patient God, a merciful God, but he's also a God that says, if you start something, we're going to finish it. You're gonna, you, I called you to start it. I'm also calling you to finish it today. So stop getting distracted because you and I have a work to do together. How many can say amen? amen. See, God wants you and I to finish what you started. He's a finisher. He's a, our God is a finisher, and he wants to teach you and I to be a finisher as well. He wants you to finish the call of God and do what he's called you to do. Amen? I remember I came to Sydney, Australia in the year 2000, where I met my sister Irene, and we were partnered together in many, many areas of evangelism. She had a great passion for souls, amen? We would go reach souls all over the place, and, uh, and we would go and evangelize all the time. But when I left Sydney, Australia, I always kind of felt sad. I left Sydney, Australia. I was here for two years. I left and I came back, and everybody I reached had left. They all had gone different places. Some backslid, some went to other churches, which was cool. As long as they're planted in the house of God, I was happy with that. But then there were some that fell back, and it grieved me because I had a visa issue, so I couldn't stay. So I was coming back and forth, and then I felt the God, that God called me to go to New Zealand, so I went there for 11 years. My wife and I, we got married, we moved to New Zealand, and we went and we found a place there, and we went to go pastor a church, and we planted a ministry there where the church is still going, and the recovery home that we built is still going forward there, and we were there. But I always, and every time I would come to Sydney, I always felt a little bit of conviction, because I loved it here. I really love Sydney. I love the busyness of Sydney. I love the souls. I love, I even love the sin of Sydney. I just thought like, man, there's so much sinners here. We could all, we could all win souls here. Amen. It's like, man, there's so much sinners here that there's no reason why we should have to be in competition with any other church. Amen. There's no competition. We're all the kingdom of God. We're all trying to reach the lost. We're all trying to build the kingdom. So let's, and I just really felt, man, there's so many souls in this city we could reach. And so from New Zealand, I, I was always, I gave myself to New Zealand for 11 years. My wife and I, we established our ministry there. And then the call of God came again. The Lord called me and he said, the Lord spoke to me and he said, okay, you need to get ready to make a move. And I thought well, I was going to go home to America, you know, because my family's in America. So I wanted to go home. I was thinking to myself, I'm going to go back home. I can, and, and my pastor was very ill at the time. And the Lord, I was like, my pastor said, hey, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I don't know how long I'm going to be here, but he said, I want you to come. I want you to come, and I want to prepare you to come and take over the church. And, and he says, you and Veronica come down. And, and I was excited because, you know, finally get to pastor a church with my family because I've been a missionary all of my pastoral life. I never, I've never pastored in America, ever. I was an assistant pastor. I was a Bible study leader, and then that's it. So when I came back, and I, and I was preparing my heart. The Lord said, that's not where I called you to go. That's not where I called you to go. And you know how the Lord spoke to me? Through my wife. She said, no. I told my wife, God wants us to go to, what do you think about praying about going back to Escondido, California to pastor the church? My wife said, no. That's not the Lord. 
And I said, are you sure? I think you're just being a little bit jealous because you don't want you don't want you don't want to you want to be with closer to your family and not where my family's at. And she goes, no, I just don't feel it. She goes, if you think it's of the Lord, I'll follow you. But you need to be sure it's the Lord. So I was like, oh, Jesus. Okay. I thought I was I think I was being a little ambitious to be with my family. Then the Lord came and the Lord spoke to us that it was to come to Australia again come back to Sydney, Australia, and I really felt peace about it. I felt joy about it, peace about it. And coming back here today, I'm grateful because I have the privilege of finishing what I had the opportunity of starting. Amen? And this, this evening, I challenge you today that maybe God's calling some of us to finish what you started. Amen? And maybe you are doing what God has called you to do. Then I want to encourage you today, continue doing what God has called you to do, and don't get distracted. Can I get an amen? Let me give you three things that I'm going to share with you that distracted Zerubbabel. Number one, if you, uh, you don't have to turn there, but in Ezra chapter 4, verse 4, the, the first thing we see here, uh, we're going to read verses 4 and 5. The Bible says this, then the, Lord, then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, the king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So what happened is that, number one, the first distraction that they had is they had battles and conflict with other people. There was conflict. There was, there was war and battles that they would do. And these, these uh, people of Samaria and the people around them, when they heard that they were rebuilding the temple, they were bothering them and they kept intimidating them and they were causing war with them. And, and what they were doing is every time the people of Samaria would come, they would, they would make them go to war and they would lose their focus because of the battles that were taking place. And so what happened is, is that the wars and the conflicts and the challenges in their life got Zerubbabel and his people off focus. Therefore, they stopped the building and they started fighting and then they never went back to work. And a lot of times the enemy does that in the church sometimes. And the enemy comes and he attacks us through our life, our family, our marriage, our children, or even in the ministry. And we go through these battles and conflicts and, and all of a sudden we lose our focus. And we stop doing what God has called us to do. See, but I thank God because uh, what the Bible says, and sometimes it feels like there's no other way, but Nehemiah was a leader that rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, and Nehemiah had a different strategy than Zerubbabel did. Zerubbabel got into conflict and he lost focus. But if you study the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah tells us in the book, and I believe it's chapter 6 or 7, that Nehemiah taught his men how to build, how to, how to have a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other. He said, when, it, when the enemy comes, you fight. When the enemy leaves, you build. When the enemy comes, you fight. When the enemy leaves, you build. You get back on the wall, you keep doing what God has called us to do, and we finish the work that God has called us to accomplish. And I want to tell you today, God is looking for people in this church, in Open Heaven Church, who know how to fight when it's time to fight, and they know how to work when it's time to work. You may, all of us are going to have problems in our walk with God. We're all going to have obstacles and challenges, whether it may be sickness, whether it may be obstacles in our children, and they're all going to feel the need to draw your attention and give your full concentration to it. But we have to learn 
how to work when it's time to work and how to go to war when it's time to go to war. Amen? Nehemiah went to work and then he went to war and he accomplished the building of the wall in 52 days. What seemed like an impossible task and he had the same problems. He had the same people coming against him and trying to pull him down. Amen? Tell your neighbor, let's not get distracted. Let's not get distracted. Unnecessary battles will cost you more than your time. It will even kill your purpose. Sometimes you and I will go through battles, and sometimes they're unnecessary battles. They're battles that we allow to take place. We open the door for these things. So you and I have to be wise enough to draw close to God and realize what is unnecessary and what is necessary. There are certain battles that are going to build you stronger. And there are certain distractions that will keep you away longer. So let us focus ourselves on what God has called us to do. Zerubbabel got distracted and it kept him for 17 years. That's a long time. Amen? It's a long time to be distracted. It's a long time not to fulfill your purpose. So therefore, let us learn from the mistakes of others. And let's keep ourselves concentrated on God's plan for our lives. How many can say amen? The second thing that took place is they had money problems. Finances, cash, moolah. Amen? Credit, right? Debt. That was a problem. Sometimes money is always a problem in our life sometimes. Not just the lack of it, but sometimes the, the desire of it. Sometimes money could be a very big challenge for the people of God. Ezra chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says this. It says, thus says, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth and the Lord of God in heaven has given to me. It says, he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among you, who, who is among you of all his people. May his God, may his God be, with, be with him. And let him go to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, it says, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel, which is in Jerusalem. It says, and whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold and with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offering of the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Jumping down to verse 6, it says this, and all those who were around them encouraged them with the articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. See, what happened was is that the people of God and even Cyrus, the king of Persia, was funding the rebuilding of the temple. Everybody was giving. So when, when the money is great, it's always easy to do ministry. But when the money is tight, sometimes it's easy to put it on the shelf. And what happened was is that as all the money was coming in, that's how they were able to lay the foundation of the temple. But what took place is there came a moment where the money ceased, where the money stopped. Where the, king was, where the one king died and another king took over and they stopped funding the house of God. And one thing I've come to realize in my walk with God is that one thing I realize is that no matter what I'm doing, when God shuts one door, he opens another door. Is that right? Sometimes we get caught up on the door and we forget that God is the provider, not the avenue in which he provides. 
And sometimes when we have a, a season where God shuts one door, we get so discouraged or even distracted that we, we lost that door. But God's saying, that's not the door I want you to focus on. I, I am your provider. I'm the one who looks after your life. I provide for your children. I provide for your marriage. I provide for your family. I provide for your business. I provide for your ministry. I'm the provider. Not those things are not your provider. That's the channel of blessing. That is not the provision. I am Jehovah Jireh, your provider. Sometimes God closes a door because we look too much to the door. Is that right? Sometimes God shuts a door because you're looking too much at the door and you're not looking to the king who provides the door to be opened for your life or even for your ministry. Many times as a pastor, a lot of times it takes money to do ministry, and sometimes it's easy to look at the people and say, man, you guys are not giving. But God, I, God told me many years ago as a, as a young pastor, don't you dare ever look at these people for your giving. You look to me for my provision. I will touch the hearts of people. I will provide a way to, to make sure everything you need is provided for you. I was testifying to the church this morning that as I look to the congregation and I teach about the principle of tithes and offering, it's up to God to touch the hearts of people till they have a desire to give. I can't force anybody to give, but God is always a provider for our church. God is a provider for this church. Is that how many can say amen? And the other day I was, I was blessed because God has impressed upon one of the businessmen in the local area. I told him we needed a van for our recovery home. And he said, what can I help you with? I told him I need a van. And, I, and he said, okay. I, and so I, he says, look for a van and give me, uh, let me know what it is. So I was looking for secondhand vans, you know, 15, 20 grand, 30 grand. I was like, 30 was like, Ooh, I'll just slip it in there and see. Because he goes, just send me a van. So I was like giving a $20,000 limit, maybe twenty-five. I was like, you know. And he looked, he goes, all these vehicles got 150Ks on it, all of that. He goes, why don't we get you a new van? I was like, well, brother, if you want to bless me with a new van, well, praise the Lord. So I'm like, I'm just looking at something that's manageable. And he's like, no, 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 no. That's for, for another 10 or 15 grand, we get you a new van. So I was like, well, amen. Well, let's do this. So he said, let's go. So we went and we found the van, and he found the van. And he's like, you like this van? I go, I like any van that's for free. So <laughs> whether it's a brand new one, a 10-year-old one, it doesn't really bother me. I'm not looking at the year or the quality of the van. I'm just looking at a van that meets the needs of the ministry. So he said, no, 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 we're going to get you a new van. So today, and in our driveway, not here, we didn't get to bring it, but today we have a 2021 van. Only two, there was only 25 kilometers on it when I drove it off the, the, lot, the, the lot there in Parramatta. And I'm just thinking to myself, God is our provider. If I look at the people to provide, I will close the door for God to provide because God understands that I'm looking in the wrong way. And I want to tell you this morning, look to God. He is your provider. He will always take care of you. Your job is not your provider. Your business is not your provider. Jehovah Jireh is your provider. And when you have your eyes on him, he will always take care of your needs. If you believe that, shout amen. God is the provider of us. I thank God that he uses people, but I understand that just because he provided a van from this man doesn't mean that he's going to provide again. I'm not looking to him to provide for me. 
I'm just grateful that God has moved on someone's heart to provide. I give them a thanks, a high five. I told them, you want to drive the van? He goes, no, I don't want to touch it. Go ahead. Do what you want. Well, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So I, I, I'm grateful, but I come to realize if I look in the wrong way, I'll always see the negative. But if I look at him, he always shows us the right way. And God will take care of it because this is his work. And we're his children. And his family, your family, he loves just as much, if not more, than you. And he will provide. Remember you say, he provides. What happened is that the children of Israel, when they were building the temple, they had all of the provisions. But because of the switching of the king and because of the battle with the other people, the little by little, the money stopped. And when the money stopped, the work stopped. And the work stopped because they were looking at the money and not on the, the, the God who called them to the work they were called to do. Amen? Let us keep our eyes on God and do what God has called us to do. Amen? Don't let money control your commitment. Don't let money control what God wants to do. I always learned, uh, my pastor used to tell me, you, will, you, will not, you may not have the money that, all the money that you want, but you will always have the money to do what God wants. Amen? Whether for my family, for my life, for my ministry, God will always provide for what he wants. Amen? Our distractions will cost us. And it'll be a, it'll, it'll cost us in the way, because of Zerubbabel's focus on the war, it cost him the provision of God for his work. Let us keep our eyes on God and not on the problems that happen all around us. Amen? The third thing, the last one, the third, the third struggle that, the third distraction that Zerubbabel had, number one, he had battles and conflict. Number two, he had money problems. And number three, he had his own focus and his own internal conflict within himself. I believe that Zerubbabel was completely distracted. And because he lost focus, he lost motivation. He lost his determination to do what God had called them to do. And so I know that tonight, we're speaking to the faithful crowd of Open Heaven Church, the committed crowd. But I, one thing I know is that I learned a long time ago is that, is that the enemy may not be able to steal your salvation, to rob your love for God, or to even take your desire to be in fellowship away. But what the enemy will do is turn you one degree in the wrong direction and push you in one moment. And we get distracted. And once we lose focus, we begin to lose our motivation. And that's what happened to Zerubbabel. It happened so much that it took him 17 years to wake up and get back to work. 17 years he put his calling on the shelf. 17 years he put his mission on the shelf. 17 years he put his responsibility on the shelf. 
17 years, he got stuck in a place where he couldn't pull himself out. He was distracted within himself. And maybe you, you may not be here this evening, but one thing I will say is that God sees where you and I are at. And when we can align our hearts and minds with God, he will adjust us and, and realign us to be in God's perfect will. Amen? I want you to stand with me tonight. One of the things that distract us from within our own self is impulsiveness. Sometimes we're impulsive. We jump onto something or we jump into something without praying about it, without waiting for confirmation, without waiting from a word from God. Sometimes we jump into something and then we realize we probably shouldn't be doing this. And sometimes we, God needs to bring somebody to wake us up. Amen? God wants you and I to walk in perfect fellowship with him. Perfect not meaning flawless, but perfect meaning union. Walking in divine union with him. Amen? It reminds me of a Hawaiian proverb. I read this proverb in, in, uh, in, when I was in Hawaii. I was in this place, and they had the picture of this boat, and they had the picture of these men on the boat, and they were rowing together. And as they were rowing together, I don't know if you know anything about the people of the Pacific, the, the Pacific Islanders, but they used the currents and the ocean almost like a freeway. They could travel from island to island and be able to move around simply and easily because they would use the wind and the currents and they would be able to move around. When I was studying about the, the migration of the Polynesian people, you know, like the taro and sweet potato, kumara. How many like that? Amen? That's not even a... That's no, not even found originally anywhere in the Pacific Islands. That actually comes from South America and Chile. Yeah. I'm educating you. Amen? It actually comes from Latin America. So they would travel the freeways and pick up these vet fruits and vet I don't know what a taro and kumara, what is it, vegetable, right? They would pick it up. And then they would migrate it and move it around. And that's how it all became such a cult part of the culture. But the only way that they could do it is through unity. Because they worked together as a team. And so tonight, I want to speak to the church tonight. The, the pro Hawaiian proverb, when they would row their uh, boat, there was a statement that they would make. And I'm not going to try to pronounce the Hawaiian one because, yeah, it's just... I'm hopeless at that. Amen? But the, the statement was made, unite to move forward. They all had to row at the same time to make progress enough to get to where they needed to go and get back so that they could do what their purpose or mission is. And the church is very much the same. 
The church has to unite to move forward. Amen? Zerubbabel couldn't build the temple by himself. He needed people to stand beside him to build that temple. And I could tell you tonight that the church, that what God has called this church to accomplish isn't going to take just the pastors and his wife and a couple of leaders. It's going to take a congregation. It's going to take the congregation to unite and to move forward. How many can say amen? And so one thing I realized is that they would, when they would stand on that boat and they would say move, everybody had to put their oar into the water and move in sequence. Amen? When they say go, everybody put their water in the oar and they would move. When everybody worked in unison, they would make great progress. But there's always someone that probably wants to take a break when everyone's supposed to be working. And it would make it harder for everybody else. And I'm challenging you today that God wants you as your pastor and your leadership team say, go, let's go. Put your oar or your, or your, or your paddle in the water and let's move in union with God. Not just with the leader. The leader is just the visionary that's following the voice of God. But your job is to be able to put your oar in that water and move when it's time to move. Because God wants to take you somewhere and he wants to do something. But it takes everyone putting their paddle in the water and moving forward. If only one side, if it's just the leadership team that's rowing and the other half of the congregation isn't moving, you're only going to go in circles. Because only one side, if only one side is rowing, all you do is make a U-turn, and you come right back to the same destination. And sometimes God wants to move our church forward. He wants to move this ministry forward, but he needs everybody to get their hand on the paddle and move when it's time to move. He needs everybody to pick up their tool and say, I'm going to get into my position where God has called me to be. My position isn't more powerful than your position. The speaker isn't more important than the worshiper. The worshiper isn't more important than the congregation. All of our part in the kingdom of God is valuable, and everybody needs to know that when we do our part, we can move forward. And this is what the Lord wants you to know. That sometimes you're taking a break and that break is too long. And you're not getting anywhere. And you're slowing the progress of what God wants to do down. Because you're not pressing into God and allowing the healing to take place. So that eventually you can get back up, grab your paddle, and move with the flow of the Spirit in this church. God wants to open heaven over this congregation. But it's going to take a congregation, not the pastors, not the leaders, everybody to work in union so that God can move you forward. How many can say amen? Can I get just a keyboard or maybe an instrument player? See, working together makes progress. Everybody having their hand on the paddle and everybody listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit not only allows progress, but strength and forward purpose. You're able to move forward. Tonight, I'm going to ask every head bowed and every eye closed.
The building of the house of God is not based on just a rubble, not based on just a couple of key workers. I'm sure that if God put somebody amongst the rubble to say, hey, man, let's continue this work. Don't get discouraged. Don't worry about the provision that the king said he was going to give, and he's not giving it no more. Don't worry. We're going to do this together. I'm sure Zerubbabel would have bounced out of that place of distraction, and he would have got right back in there to continue that work. Sometimes stuff gets stagnant because the people who are supposed to be an encouragement are not encouraging. God wants you to encourage. Encourage the work of God. Encourage the building of the house of God. Sometimes we're distracted with just coming to church and going home. And God said, I'm trying to build my kingdom. But you're distracted with just coming to church and going home. But I want to do more. As every head is bowed and every eye is closed, just for a moment. I want to ask you to evaluate your heart. And say, God, where can I help to unite and move forward for what you want to do in this church? What is it that you want to do? God, do I have my paddle in hand? Do I have my paddle in hand ready to make forward progress? Or have I put my paddle down and I haven't picked it up for a little time? You may think, well, what my part isn't that, isn't that busy, but everyone's part on the boat is valuable to making forward progress. Doesn't matter if you're at the front or the back, everyone's hand on the paddle makes progress. Tonight, I wanna challenge anybody that's here I want to challenge you to pick up your paddle so that you can help us to make progress. Sometimes we feel like we've done our part already. We've worked our season. But God says, this time's not done yet. My purpose isn't fulfilled yet. You may not play in the same position you may not be in the same spot as you were before, but your place, wherever God moves you, is still very valuable to the progress of the ministry and the kingdom of God here in this church. If you're here tonight and you say, you know what, I want to pick up my paddle. I want to see great progress in my church. Help me to discover where you want me to be. Help me to discover what you want me to do to help unite to move forward in my church. If that's you, I want to pray for you. I want to ask you to step out of your seat and come. Is that all right, Pastor John? I want to ask you to step out of your seat and come. Come forward, and I just want to lay hands on you. I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that God would anoint your hands as you pick up your tool. That God would anoint you as you pick up your paddle. 
I'm sure Zerubbabel needed a couple of strong hands around him to encourage his work. Tonight, if that's you, if you've been in your position, you've been in your spot, then I challenge you too to come just so that you could stay refined, strong. Like Galatians says, do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season you shall reap a harvest if you do not give up. If that's you, come. Because I want to pray for you. I'm going to open up this altar for anyone else that wants to come. As you come, I just want to speak. Do you know that Irene knows my wife my wife gave her heart to the Lord in the year 2000 the Lord delivered her from heroin addiction the Lord touched her mom and transformed her life and from my wife's salvation and my mother-in-law for about 22 years, they've been praying for their brother, her brothers, my mother-in-law's sons. One of them has been in prison for over 20 years. And the other one has been using heroin for the same amount of time. They've been going and getting distracted my mother-in-law, my wife, praying and getting discouraged. But as we're faithful doing the will of God, I encouraged my family to don't stop because God is going to honor our faith. And let us not allow anything to stop us from doing what God has called us to do. Two years ago, my brother-in-law got out of prison came into the recovery home and the Lord now has delivered him from heroin addiction he's actually the leader of the recovery home now and he's leading the men now he's been free from drugs and prison and he's leading discipling the men that are here the Lord delivered him out of a 20 year prison sentence and now God is doing a work in his life Seven days ago, tomorrow, Monday, the other one came on a bus from Melbourne to Sydney. And he's in our recovery home now, changing his life today. It's a battle. It's not easy. Amen? He's struggling. He's kicking heroin as we speak right now. He's at home detoxing drugs out of his system. It's 20 years of praying, fasting, believing, and feeling like nothing's happening. But you can't get distracted because God is a faithful God. And when his timing is right, he will do what he says he will do. Amen? So I want to ask you to stretch your hands forward tonight for these that are up here. Stretch your hands forward in the church. Maybe if there's a team of leaders that will come and help me to pray. And if there's anybody else that's here, that says, you know what, I'm going to put my hand to the paddle and I'm going to row in union 
with my church. I'm going to put my hand on that paddle and I'm going to row at the voice of the Holy Spirit. As he speaks through my pastors and leaders, I'm going to partner with them and work in unity because together we will unite to move forward. Those of you that are here, I want you to lift up your hands at the altar and I want you to help me to pray. Maybe Tyrone can come and help me pray. Brother Ivan can maybe come and help me pray. If you don't mind, Pastor John, is that all right? And if there's anybody else that wants to come, if you're believing for somebody to be saved, if you're believing for a loved one, I want you to get out of your seat and come and bring them to the altar. Bring their heart, bring their name, bring their struggle to the altar for them. And we're going to believe God for his deliverance and his touch upon their life as we begin to pray. Maybe we can have the worship team come and help out right now as we begin to pray. Come on, stretch your hands forward as we pray.